1: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello and welcome to New Books in Economics. It will also be cross posted on New Books in Conflict Studies and New Books in Peace Research. My name is Sydney, and today I have Jan Selby, um, who's a professor in the UK and has written a book called Divided Environments, an international political ecology of climate change, water and security, along with his co-opers Gabriel Dowd and Clemens Hoffman. Um, professor Selby, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for being here. Do you want to just start us off by telling us sort of why it is that you wrote this book? Um, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be the person writing this book. Uh, just sort of like the fun backstory of how these sort of this this book ended up in my hands. Thanks ever so much, Sydney. So um, this
2: book is, uh, I mean, it goes back, uh, it's Genesis goes back quite a, quite a way, really. It goes back to uh, uh, 2009, 2010, when we had the Initial initial idea uh, uh, for for this book, which came out of a uh, initially out of an EU funded project on which Clements and I uh, were working together, and then all kinds of other things got in the way and uh, personal life, other academic pressures. Um, nothing happened with the book, and then it was rethought in around two thousand and sixteen. And a certain point, Gabrielle came on board to help as well, and um, the book is. Um, uh, at last, done and and uh, and, and and published. Um, so it's 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 got a long, a long backstory. To to say something a little bit more about it intellectually and how how I came to it. Um, I, I I've been working on issues to do with water politics, water conflict for many years. I did my PhD on Israeli Palestinian uh, uh, water politics. Um, and uh, and her book, which was published in two thousand and three, from my from my, from my PhD, um, I've written various other things around issues to, to do with to do with water politics, and it was it was via that interest in water politics and environmental politics more broadly, and and water conflict, water security questions. I should I should say in particular. Um, that I started to um, uh, enter into some of the debates around the conflict and security implications of climate change. So that interest in, in climate change, which really started with this EU project that went back to 2010 to 2012, uh, 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 led me with a number of collaborators, including Clemens and, and Gabrielle. Uh, uh, to, to examine conflict implications of conflict security, implications of climate change. So together with those collaborators, with Gabriel and, and Clements and, and others, um, I've done various bits of work over the years, looking at, uh, uh, a number of different, looking at a number of different cases. I've written on the, the, the claims about the role of climate change in the Syrian civil war. Um, I've, I've, I've written on Sudan, um, I've written with 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 Gabrielle on 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 the Lake Chad region, and and also as well as some more general and, and and theoretical stuff, and 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 this book really tries to pull the threads of a lot of that stuff, uh, a lot of that stuff together, into something which hopefully is 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 reasonably coherent, and and to and to offer. Um, uh, a, a diff, uh, not only not only a critique of some of the claims, some claims that have been made, which is partly what the book does, but also offer a, a, a different overall account of what we see as the conflict and security implications of of climate change, um, in in which in which water plays a central role as our sort of analytical focus for thinking about thinking about the conflict security implications of climate change. So that's the backdrop.
1: Awesome. Um, there's a lot to unpack there. And I promise I will ask about all of these things. But first, for our audience, uh, so that I never have to explain it to somebody at a conference when I'm justifying what it is that I do all day. Could you explain what political ecology is um, and what international political ecology might mean?
2: Yeah, sure. Good good question. So, um, I mean, the uh, the... The probably most straightforward to say what political ecology is, is to say that it's the opposite of an apolitical ecology. Um, uh, And and, and an apolitical ecology would be one which wouldn't foreground politics in the understanding of ecological and environmental crises. A, A political ecology, by contrast, is one which would foreground the political in terms of understanding, ecological, environmental issues, problems, crises, and would also at the same time, also at the same time, tend to emphasize that ecology, uh, uh, nature in scare quotes, um, uh, uh, and the uh, extraction, exploitation, transformation, mobilization of nature, are central to understanding forms of politics. So it's not only that politics lies behind ecological crises, but that those uh, ecological transformations um, themselves have important political consequences. So um, political ecology as an approach is one which... Sees the political and the ecological as, as sort of locked in a, locked in a two way two way embrace. Um, what does I should try to clarify what politics or the political means here? It can mean a bunch of things, um, but but normally it, it it means something pretty broad. Normally it's, it means something like uh, forms of power, um, forms of hierarchy, forms of rule. So not simply forms of policy. Um, so uh, so politics, power hierarchy, uh, 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 and the relationship between those, and, and also policy, uh, and 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 transformations and, and exploitation of of, of of ecological systems and and, and processes. Um, For for those who are familiar with the word phrase political economy, um, political ecology is is sometimes in shorthand talked about as political economy plus ecology. So a political economy approach that takes uh, that takes uh, takes ecology uh, uh, seriously that that would not that for instance would not only uh, analyze um, uh, uh, trade froze flows or trade liberalization. But that would link that to new processes of dredging of ports, transformation of coastlines, transformation and mobilisation of water resources for for export through crops, changes to uh, uh, ch- changes to and destruction of, uh, of of wildlife and natural ecosystems as a result, and so on and so forth. Soil depletion, and so on. Um, so that uh, hopefully that gives some sense of of, of what of what uh, of what political ecology is. What and and, and I, I mean the book. Hopefully, it's intended in part as a contribution to, and, and but more than that is is indebted to this broad swathe of work in. In in political ecology, which is quite established as a, as an approach, what what we think is a little bit distinctive about the approach that we take in the book is is that we, um, as the subtitle to the book um, suggests, um, we our, our approach is what we call an international political ecology. So, what's the you ask? What's the significance of that? Um, so, I mean, just to explain that, let me say that political ecology as, a, as an approach has tend to come out of, above all, and be associated with the disciplines of geography, um, uh, as well as anthropology and development studies. Um, uh, uh, Politics international relations scholars have tended not to make big, particularly big contributions. To to um, to understanding uh, uh, political ecology, so it, it, at, at its simplest, when we our, our our approach as an international political ecology is 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 in a sense um, uh, what one might what one might expect from. Um, uh, some uh, international relations scholars trying to engage and use techniques of political ecology. That's so. So, in one sense, at simplest, that's what we're doing: we're bring, bringing together insights from inter- critical international relations and and political ecology. There, I think there's a there's a slightly deeper meaning uh, as well I won't go into it at great length. And actually, is a little bit under theorized in the book. It's not developed particularly much. We don't do a huge amount with this. But but let me let me just say that political ecology as an approach given the disciplines it's it's come out of it's tend to have a quite localist um uh, and place-based uh, uh, focus and 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 when it how uh, but combining that often with a quite critical attitude towards uh, 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 uh uh, prevailing state and economic orders and how they transform, um, transform place, um, ecology and society in particular places. Um, and but w- when it's dealt at a, at the bigger scale beyond the beyond um, uh, uh, beyond place, what it has tended to do is to think um, is to focus on the global rather than the international. Um, so the the phrase um, uh, global political ecology is one which is reasonably well established within the, the literature, and the the, the issue here the, from from our perspective is what a focus on the global does is that it doesn't pay enough attention to the, uh, uh, to the existence of uh, a multiplicity of states and an international uh, system, and to what international relations scholars would think of as international uh, differences and, and dynamics um, of the different developmental uh, and, and therefore political ecological trajectories that happen in different uh, national, national contexts, to the quest- questions to do with state building and borders uh, uh because of that multiplicity um uh doesn't pay pay quite enough attention to the importance of geopolitical conflicts and dynamics in how they affect political ecological processes and so on so uh, so uh in in wanting to to bring an international political ecology we 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 we're, we're trying to um uh, uh br- Place more emphasis on the international as constitutive of political ecological change, and at the same time, those processes of ecological change as make making and reaffirming of 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 the international. Um, so, so that that's that's broadly what 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 an international political ecology means.
1: Thank you for that. That was perfect explanation. Um, For the readers, if you pick up this book, one thing that sort of like struck me when I was anticipating thinking about something that was international and political ecology that makes this tangible is that there is there are individual state actors and state actor bodies that are mentioned and that are whose role is discussed a lot versus sort of like larger terms you might be familiar with and like more in critical things scholarships such as like capital and labor in the abstract, right? It, it, it becomes very tangible and you can see in real world events, these types of events occurring. Um, but while we're talking about the international, there's a number of, of case studies and places that you look at and places that you've done research and that your co-authors have done research to create this book and to create your research agenda. Could you talk about those places, um, how they got selected, what we learned from them, what we what's missing from the case studies, sort of like Sort of just tell us a little bit about the the sites that generate this knowledge.
2: Yeah, thanks. Um, so uh, let me explain this via the book's title, "Divided Environments." The the the, the book is, um, a, a, a draws upon evidence from five cases, and those five cases are all what we call divided. Environments in one way or another, or another. That is, they're all uh, uh, territorially divided spaces or societies, uh, uh, and most of them, um, what we would call in in one form or another, partitioned, partitioned uh, 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 societies. So our five cases, just to say, just to say what they what they are, are um, Cyprus divided between. Uh, internationally recognised uh, Republic of Cyprus and uh, and 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 uh, uh, Turkish occupied Northern Cyprus, uh, Israel Palestine um, divided between Israel and the West Bank uh, occupied West Bank and 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 Gaza, uh, Sudan divided between between um, uh, uh, between now the state of Sudan and the independent state of. Of, of, of South Sudan, recall that the work on this went to uh, started in 2010 or so. At that point, South Sudan was 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 not an independent was not an independent state. Um, uh, and then our other two cases are Syria, um, divided within the context of the, of the of the Syrian civil war. And then the final case, which is 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 sl- is slightly different, in that it's a division which um a, a, a division between internationally recognized uh a, a, a borders is that of the lake chad basin um uh lake chad lying at the um border between um uh, uh, between nigeria niger uh uh, uh cameroon and, and and chad um so there are there are five cases the the book isn't organised around those cases. I should I should say we don't have a chapter on each of the cases. We dip in and out of we dip in and out of the cases as part of our sort of uh, analysis and dip in and out for examples and here and there comparing and, and, and contrasting them. Um, let let me just say how we got to those cases, linking with 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 what I. What I what I said before. So the, the the EU project around which this which provided the seeds for this, for this book um, uh, uh, was uh, Cle- Clements and I were going to do work on water climate conflict relations in uh, Cyprus Israel Palestine and Sudan. So and our initial idea was for a, for a book that would. Um, just be a three, three case study book, but then other stuff got in the way, and and uh, we went on to do other bits of work. And I did work on on, on Syria, and Gabriel and I did work on Lake Chad, um, and that's that's how we how we how we came to the to the to the cases. Um, in terms of you also asked Sydney about the um, did you ask about the weaknesses of the or the problems with those cases or some of the shortcomings. Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I'm happy to hear about those. I was also wondering sort of when you select cases, if you think that there were like if there was another case or two that you're like, I would like to have done but couldn't do but would have might have told me this or sort of yeah, just thinking about your case selection if there was a different set of them that would have interested you that you were unable to do for other logistical reasons.
2: Yeah, so it's a it's a good question. I think the answer is probably not not really. There weren't really other cases that we thought about adding, but um, uh, uh, but, but but didn't. Um, it was it was more the other way around that that actually we needed to when we when we came to rethought think the book as in in as thematically organised when we came back to it in 2016, 2017, It was a question of well, shall we bring the Syrian material in, and then shall we bring the Lake, Lake, Lake Chad material in? Um, so there weren't really other cases that we'd explored in great depth that um, that uh, uh, that material could have been brought in in on. I, I should say that that partly because of the way it's, the book is organised, because it's it's organised thematically rather than around the cases. Um, so it it does move between sort of more general and and sometimes theoretical discussion and then some quite detailed. Uh, uh, empirical engagement with the cases, and and in between doing those things, we bring bring in do bring in bits of insights from other cases. so the odd reference to India, Pakistan, and so on and so forth. Um, Britain appears quite a lot, the US quite a lot, so on and so forth. So so it, 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 although the focus is on those cases, we do tra- we do travel around a little bit beyond that. in 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 terms of in terms of some of the limitations of those um, those those cases. Um, uh the the i mean there there definitely i mean i'm sure there are some um there and um i'm i'm, I'm you, you you may have a better sense of what some of those are are them are the, the me i i think we've ended up focusing on cases which are for the most part um, ones which have been quite extensively discussed Within quite mainstream accounts of water and climate security, so in a sense that um, provides some of uh, the the most sensible justification for why uh, why we should why that why these might be good good cases. So um, so some of the. Um, that these cases cover what are, um, what are probably the three most prominent examples which have been suggested of climate wars or climate conflicts. Uh, uh, the, 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 the war in Darfur, 2003 to 5, uh, the Syrian civil war and the Lake Chad crisis. They're, they're all sort of they're, they're covered by our, by, by our cases and we invest, investigate the claims around those. Um, at the same time, the, those those cases speak to some of the major um, uh, transboundary waters, which are thought to be sites of uh, 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 potential uh, water wars. So, the Euphrates River, the Nile, and the Jordan, the the, the Jordan, the Jordan River. Um, so, th- they're good cases in the sense that lots has been written about these cases already, and that's lots that we Disagree with with which provides quite a use, useful basis and entry point for for our analysis. I I'm sure there are some limitations as well in terms of the types of things that we uh, 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 we look at and some of the issues that we look at. We're mainly dealing with um, contexts um, of semi-arid environments, not solely, but mainly dealing with contexts of semi-arid environments. And clearly, water politics looks different in other. Uh, uh, different different national contexts we also I should say don't deal particularly um, heavily well, only only in passing really with questions to do with um, to do with sea level rise for instance, which is an aspect of water politics a, a dimension of water politics in a sense which which is clearly going to be very important in relation to climate change. so there are definitely some limitations around uh, around the, around those cases.
1: Awesome. So one of the things that you mentioned that I really want to develop is that you actually selected cases about which lots in the mainstream literature has been written. Um, I imagine there could be listeners who think that they do not know anything about the political ecology of sort of like water and water conflicts and you, dear listener, are wrong. Um, In fact, for me doing a PhD on this topic, there was a lot of unlearning that had to occur. And this book is, I would say, there's a lot of myth busting going on in this book. Um, would, you, what, would you just take a minute to talk about some of the discourses you're writing against? Um, you can select one or two of the cases and describe them if you think that's interesting. Um, for example, like several Secretary Generals of the United Nations have said statements that are, this book shows to be wrong on the conflicts in in Darfur. I mean, these these are not um, these are prominent discourses that I'm almost certain our listeners have been exposed to. So if you just want to like sort of talk for a second about the the sort of discourses you're writing against and sort of what it is that you're you're saying is is missing from these and what it is that you 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 think you contribute. Cri- crikey. So um
2: you've almost asked me to summarize the whole book there Sydney.
1: Um so uh let's Sorry, maybe in a few <laughs> sentences or in a few minutes explain what you think or what you see the the sort of mainstream discourses that our listeners might have heard of Yeah, as so about. let's
2: start with that. That's
1: absolutely let's start with that. Yeah. i not a professional interviewer. <laughs>
2: um, so the mainstream discourses, the the, the mainstream discourse is, are ones that we would characterise as uh, environmentally determinist or eco-determinist or Malthusian. And those, uh, those, there, there's also a subsidiary sort of mainstream discourse which is a liberal. Discourse, but I'll put that on to, to one side. Let me just focus on the eco-determinist, environmental determinist, Malthusian uh, arguments in relation first to water, and then I bring in climate, climate through that. So the the the, the central argument of um, eco-determinist or environmental determinist or Malthusian work on water is that um, is that water resources are um, limited. Or finite um, that there are obviously particular bits of the world um, where they're more limited than others there are natural resource limits or constraints or barriers or thresholds or carrying capacities um, and um, that creates a problem when one considers that um, uh, that when one when one brings in population growth and economic growth, because population growth means that uh, 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 demands on those inherently limited resources are uh, are inevitably becoming more more pressured, and um, even more so when one considers also uh, economic growth. So the basic the basic model of such thinking is one of uh, uh, finite, limited resources, especially in particular uh, particular places, and ever-growing demands and pressures on those resources, which creates a clash. And that clash is basically the consequence of that clash w- within uh, Malthusian environmental determinist, eco-determinist uh, uh, thought, is, um, is that there's growing competition for, uh, for scarce resources, The idea of scarcity being absolutely central to this to this to this discourse Um, that that uh, that that competition can uh, uh, lead to conflict can result in out migration um, where there are limited resources people don't have enough to uh, uh, to cope and uh, have to migrate can lead to social conflict and in turn to uh, a bigger political conflict in, including potentially uh, uh, international international conflict political or even military um so that's the that's the that's the sort of basic starting point of such 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 thinking and it's really this um uh, and, and it's that basically that model model which is tended to inform thinking about uh, thinking about uh, future future water wars, for instance, that um, within context of population growth and economic development, pressures on scarce resources like the River Nile or the Euphrates, uh, where there are also extra dimensions, because in those cases, they're transboundary rivers um, on which there is sometimes, a high, high, in some cases, a high degree of dependency, especially by downstream communities and and states that the pressures on those resources from population growth and, 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 and economic growth create um, almost inevitable tendency towards com- increased competition and and and, and conflict. Um, so that's the basic basic sort of water wars type picture. How does that relate to 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 climate change? Well, the, the mainstream discourse on, on climate security basically operates with a, symbol, a similar model, but brings in, um, brings in climate change on top. Um, climate change um, uh, uh, being associated or um, are thought to be likely to be associated, um, both with an increase in short-term weather shocks and those short-term weather shocks, especially droughts. Droughts figure very strongly in the literature on the discussions of of, of climate-related conflict. Um, Short-term weather shocks, droughts, uh, especially two or three year droughts can uh, lead to much less availability of of resources, lead to short-term scarcities, conflicts over them, uh, out-migration, conflict. Um, or um, uh, conflict dynamics relating more from long-term trends related to climate change, so changing changing rainfall patterns, changing temperatures, which not just through shocks but through sort of long-term processes are projected to uh, 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 lead to reduced uh, 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 water availability. So that's the that's the basic type of idea that dominates within. Cl- both climate and water, water
1: security thinking. Um, yeah, uh, is that is that okay? Is yeah, that, yeah. That, that- that's perfect. Because you have like the audience get this idea, and then you have almost a single like sentence in this book that I have used several times, which is that in reality water flows uphill towards money and power, and that I think makes clear. Maybe you could just explain sort of the meaning of that sentence um, and the ways in which things like virtual water allow that to be true? Because I think that that sort of framework shows what's wrong with this main discourse.
2: Yeah. So that, that, that phrase comes from, um, uh, comes from Mark Reisner, um, and his famous book, Cadillac desert about the, uh, about the uh, transformation of the water landscape and water politics in the American West. Um, but actually more accurately, it comes from Tony Allen, who is a, a, a geographer based at the university of, of London, who, um, who uh, is associated the, the main name associated with the idea of idea of virtual virtual water? So um, I, I won't go into virtual virtual water. Just to say that it was Tony Allen that, that that I think said water flows towards money and 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 power. Reisner just said Reisner just said said money. Um, let, I mean Reisner's argument. And what Reisner, Reisner shows looking at the American West is that the technolog- economic and technological transformation of the water waterscapes of the American West are so extreme um, that um, water doesn't follow natural patterns anymore. Obviously, it flow follows some natural patterns. When it rains, it goes downhill. But a lot of the time, if you look at the uh, where water is going, you see it go being g- going through major canals, being pumped uphill, okay? Being pumped hill, pumped uphill on the basis of um, uh, 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 t- t- made possible by construction of uh, huge canal networks and systems, um, huge infrastructures. Uh, 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 made possible by the capital and the expertise that enabled those infrastructures to be built, made possible by the capital, the, the money that is required to pump water uphill, and so on. Um, and 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 more broadly, that the picture, that phrase, and the picture that Reisner um, uh, offers there is one which we think isn't just doesn't just apply to the American West, but holds true holds true globally, which is that um, uh, the the transformation of waterscapes um, uh, uh, worldwide um, and the centrality of some of that non-water stuff in making those transformations happen, forms of capital, capital availability, expertise, the power of the state. Um, so on and so forth. Those things, one needs to centre those things in order to understand where water goes and who gets water. Um, So, I mean, effectively what we argue on that basis is that the Malthusian or environmental determinist or eco-determinist model is the wrong place to start if one wants to understand questions of water security and insecurity, and by extension, questions of questions of climate climate security, what one needs to foreground instead are um, the ways in which um, uh, 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 nature has been and continues to be appropriated, transformed, exploited, and so on, and the various forms of on patterns of security and insecurity, that um, that are the corollaries of those of, of of those transformations. So, I mean, maybe 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 it helps just to give a, a, a an example of this. I mean, the clearest example would be in relation, let's say, to Israel Palestine, where there is a situation which, in in many ways, is is, is analogous to that which which uh, Reisner Reisner describes. Um, uh, so Israel, Israel, Palestine. Broadly speaking, um, broadly speaking, rainfall pattern in, in in Israel, Palestine is that it rains more uh, rains more towards the north, and it rains more in uh, with rainfall levels declining as one moves south and towards the Negev Desert, and that it rains uh, rains more in the upland areas over uh, over the over the upland areas of the sort of headwaters of the of the Jordan Valley and the Galilee and the and the and, and the West Bank um, but that natural pattern of water availability and we'd need to add the sort of flow of the Jordan River and Lake Galilee and and, and so on that natural flow of water resources tells us very little today about Who has water? Who has control of water? Who has access to water? Who has water security? Who is water insecure? So, for instance, the West Bank, where, for instance, Ramallah, it rains more than it does in London each year on average. Um, Ramallah, high up in the hills of the West Bank, um, now imports its water from Israel um and um there are all kinds of political and economic reasons that we can go go into for that but there's it has the situation that has very very little to do with um uh, uh, uh to do with natural pattern of of, of 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 water water availability
0: this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real pos you need Shopify for retail from accepting payments to managing inventory. Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: Awesome. I think that that captures it. Well, I'll just put a teaser in there for anyone who buys the book, which I recommend doing. Um, there's a, an analogy of Gaza as Manhattan, but I think sort of like it captures some of this quite well, at least does for me. Um, But in towards the end of your book, you have 10 theses. And the second of which really interested me, I think, really sums some of this discourse on water's importance, per se, is that water is actually less important or is not that important and is becoming more or less important over time in the economic systems and in the political economy of most places. Um, and you actually wrote an essay about this, I think, 10 years ago, uh, comparing, explaining why water was not going to be the new oil, um, which is a discourse that continuously pops up. I think the most prominent place I've seen this is at the end of the famous Wall Street movie, The Big Short in which the sort of recluse investor goes off and the only thing he's going to invest in is water because in 30 years, the world is going to collapse and whoever owns water will apparently be in charge of everything. <laughs> um, could you just simply explain to our audience why it is that water is is not becoming more politically important and sort of the fact that it's not actually that scarce and sort of several of these ideas for why it is that water is, is not itself critical. Yeah, great.
2: Um, uh let, let, let me let me start by just going going let me start in answer to your question by just going back to the to to the point about how within mainstream eco-determinist thought this issue is framed so the 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 logic of eco-determinist thought is 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 there are natural limits there's ever-growing demands there's therefore there's increasing Increasing pressures, water therefore becomes more and more politically important. Is the basic premise there, which they think may well or is likely to spill over into 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 conflict. So th- there's, a, there's a there's a there's a there's a host of reasons really to to doubt that uh, uh, doubt that 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 reasoning. Um, one part of it has to do with some of that has to do with population, and some of it has to do with the nature of um resources and, and 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 water resources so the bit about population is that um, is that eco determinist thought Malthusian thought is really sort of mis- frankly mistaken in terms of their um, uh, uh, simply negative understanding of how increased population increases, increases pressures on on resources and the central reason that it's mistaken is that, um, is, is that people are not only consumers of uh, the earth resources, including water resources, um, but also um, producers of uh, uh, those resources. And that population increased population as a result um, tends not to simply be correlated with uh, negative and nasty things happening. To the contrary, it's quite clear that... Um, uh, population rises um, uh, 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 in, in, including including sudden immigrations can be correlated with uh, increased economic growth for instance and productivity and production um, so so there's a whole question of population which clearly more could be could be said about but then also there's a the question of there's a the question of resources um, and the central issue here is that water is um, is, is frankly not in any meaningful sense in, re- in relation to this issue um, f- finite or limited in the way that Malthusians think it of it as being. Of course water is finite in the sense that there's only so much of it on the planet, but there's frankly a huge amount of it on the planet. Um, uh, uh, much of it can, of which, uh, uh, can potentially be uh, uh, uh used and, and and turned into turned into a resource um, uh, one of the one of the things that we emphasize here and maybe this is the main thing to emphasize sort of theoretically is that resources it's a mistake to think of resources including water resources as a given which are outside of or separate from uh, human activity to the contrary um, resources are always produced. Um, uh, to uh, turn things which are previously not resources can, through technological and economic development and social change, become or be made into resources. So seawater is not a meaningful water resource, at least for drinking or agricultural purposes, until the advent of desalination technology. Um, uh, 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 sewage water wastewater is not necessarily a resource unless it's it's treated as such um, or uh, and so on so um, new resources can be born and created and that certainly applies to water and in the process water water can be used more than once and often is used more than once so, And as soon as one recognises that, then the idea to do with natural limits and thresholds rather sort of disintegrates very quickly. And that becomes even more so the case, or more evidently the case, when one appreciates how much water is traded, by which I mean, I should emphasise, not traded in physical form, um, because water is so heavy, it can't really be traded internationally in in physical form. But in terms of how, in terms of its use to produce commodities, especially agricultural commodities, which are which are then traded, and this takes us to the concept of virtual water. The concept of virtual water, um, uh, r- referring to uh, uh, the uh, uh, the international trade in. Uh, agricultural and industrial commodities, especially agricultural commodities, um, in which water is effectively in which there is a water footprint, effectively. So um, and, and the the importance of that I should say is that the idea of virtual water, certainly as it was developed by Tony Allen and then developed by all kinds of international propounded by all kinds of international organizations, um, was that states which are short of Uh, Facing issues of of water scarcity, water shortage, should consider um, uh, 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 Moving some of their water consumption out of the agricultural sector. So move it out of agriculture Use some of that use that water for more um, high-value Industrial domestic and also high-value agricultural purposes. So stop growing wheat Use it for more high-value purposes and then import the wheat instead. Okay, So, which is relatively, relatively straight. It's it's problematic in various ways that we end up exploring in the book. But for all of these reasons, the idea that X state in a relative, which has relatively low rainfall, is limited by, has a sort of set amount of water resources at its disposal is is mistaken. Um, Now, what follows from that, what follows from that, and this comes to the question of, is water becoming more politically important or not is that I think there are good reasons to say that it's not becoming more politically or indeed economically important. And to think about that, it's relatively straightforward, really. You need to think about, okay, if if water is something which is produced or can be produced, are the costs of producing that water uh, increasing or decreasing? Um, And by large, um, and by large, they are, they are decreasing. More than that, mo- most water, most most uh, surface and groundwater is used uh, for agriculture, is used for irrigation. Uh, uh, what's happening to the economic importance of agriculture? Well, broadly speaking, there are definitely ups and downs and there's variations, but broadly speaking, in the long historical sweep associated with economic development, it's been of decreasing uh, importance. So, for these and, and and other reasons, we say there is an important so there's important counter tendency uh, to the to the increasing pressures on water resources that there undoubtedly are from population and economic growth, um, and that popu- that counter tendency is probably the more important and the more powerful of the of the two tendencies. Uh, so overall, that's that's why we argue that in many ways we can see the importance of sort of political importance of water, political and economic importance of water as as,
1: as in decline, not as increasing. Awesome. Um, we are coming to the end of the interview, but I have a few more questions I want to get in. The, the most impressing of which is that if, as, you, as you've pointed out, right, water is not increasing in its geopolitical or economic importance over time, the technology the cost of getting it out are, are are decreasing. Um, furthermore water doesn't seem in and of itself to be driving violent conflicts and what is what is driving the larger discourse on on water wars? I know that you've written other places and in this book a bit about the discourses around sort of climate conflict and water and conflict but would you give our audience sort of like a, a brief sort of explanation for why it is that this discourse continues to come up even though the facts aren't that in question?
2: um yeah so um, I, there, there's a range of difference there's a range of reasons and there are slightly different reasons also between water and water and water and climate but i I, I guess what um, maybe maybe two things in general terms that I would I would highlight and one is one is that there there undoubtedly is sort of um, an intuitively commonsensical quality to to um, an initially appealing quality to claims about uh, uh, limits and uh, shortage leading to more more uh, conflict and 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 lots of um, lots of people can be immediately um, it, it, it's easy to be immediately impressed by those Um the 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 very tangible quality of water, and the t- very tangible quality of climate, and the changes to the to the earth's climate, and to things like drought, um, uh, uh, m- makes it very easy to to imagine and to grasp that, that that these that this might this might be having important political implications, um, which is one of the which. Which I think is one of the reasons that, that it's that it's voiced by people, and one of the one of the reasons it's taken up and then 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 reproduced. But then, in addition to that, I think there are there are a whole host of um, uh, interests um, uh, which um, uh, w- w- which which lie behind why this um, why this discourse is is reproduced. And, um, I mean, maybe, maybe I can explain this in relation to uh, uh, climate change and, and, and maybe one of my cases that might be e- easiest to do. So maybe maybe in relation to Syria is the, 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 the case where, it, where, this is, where this is clearest. So one of the cases that we examined in the book is they claimed that um, uh, climate change was an important factor in the start of the Syrian civil war, and we showed that the evidence on this is pretty 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 thin and give an alternative explanation. but we also do some reflecting on where this where this discourse came from and where did it come from well, to start with it frankly it comes from the Assad regime who who um, pre civil war um, were taking diplomats up to the northeast of the country and um, taking them on tours up there and telling them the area was being destroyed by global warming. Um, what, they, what they weren't telling people and what was really going on was that the Area B was being destroyed uh, by state sanctioned over exploitation of local water resources. So one can very immediately see in an example like that how invoking climate change um, uh, serves at least for the Assad regime as something like a something of a, an, an excuse and as an exercise in 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 anti-politics um, so from there the, the the claims by the Assad regime were taken up first by UN organizations the food and agricultural organization they took the claims up partly because it sort of appealed to them as an as an organization and Um, And to to show how seriously they take the problem of climate change. um, and, And partly because they didn't want to say anything too critical of the Assad regime either they needed to work there. So it's a type of claim that was very attractive to them and international organizations and then they reproduced it. Then lots of journalists turned turned up, and especially foreign and western journalists, not really particularly knowing the area, turn up, and you go and visit some parched fields and take a few pictures of them that look like drought, and you can very easily link that to a sort of sensationalist story in the Western press about global warming um, uh, 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 causing, serious, causing serious problems. Um, and, 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 and from there the claims get got taken up um, especially on um, by organizations concerned with the conflict security implications of climate change. So national security, uh, defense planning organizations, uh, US, European and also on the political left especially on the sort of red green or radical uh, uh, left who wanting swift action on climate change who are very happy to take up these claims as part of their sort of evidence of like look this is how serious climate change climate ch- climate change uh, is um, and at how how urgent it, it is that uh, quicker action is quicker action is taken so a host of different reasons why these claims uh, are, are, can be attractive, and, and we frankly found similar things in, in some of the other other, other cases as well. Um, yeah, so I, I'll I'll stop there with that. But I hope that's reasonably clear.
1: Yeah, no, that's that's reasonably clear. Um, you did mention just to, to one follow up question on this. You did mention that the reasons for the water discourse are slightly different. Could you could you explain that? Because I think that that's an an important distinction. Is that sort of the discourse on water is not the same as the discourse on climate conflict, even though they speak to each other and are related and both have problems with enthusiasm?
2: Yeah, so I think the, prob- probably the water conflict um, uh, a, a discourse was has been profound, propounded above all by, um, uh, uh, by local riparian states. Especially by those states which are um, um, in a sort of defensive position in relation to the water resources. So, so, so Israel, for instance, um, the, the uh, dominant party on the uh, Jordan Basin uh, water resources, or I- or Egypt, the dominant party on the, on the, on the Nile, have often invoked a water wars, water conflict. Um, uh, uh typed type discourse linking it and this comes back to the point about tangibility the tangibility of water to sort of the sort of water is life if you take away our water it's an existential threat to the nation so that type of reasoning is quite central within uh, a water water conflict discourse and that's obviously a little bit different in relation to climate and and, and also the the the, the thing I taught last mentioned last in relation to to climate change the way in which climate conflict discourse has been taken up um, uh, within international forum by the by, by 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 the left to argue for swifter action on on climate change that, that that type of reasoning clearly doesn't apply in the same way to 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 in relation to water wars discourse
1: awesome thank you um, I'm just going to read this into the record and give you a chance to comment on it, and then go to our closing, our closing questions. But in, at the end of this book, which again I really do recommend the listeners get, it's full of lots of interesting sort of like details. It develops the argument really well. It will help you unlearn things. Is it at the most general level, what underpins all of this are the two intersecting master logics of the world, modern world politics, capitalism and the state system. Um, did yeah, I don't know if you want to sort of comment on this, if this is, if you think is a better, a good way of broadly approaching um, environmental issues or political ecology, because this is put towards the end in an intervention, sort of, that you talked about a little at the beginning of trying to think theoretically about what a larger scale political ecology might look like. Um, yeah, so if you just want to like comment on that or or not, and we can go to the final questions.
2: Yeah, I'm not sure how much I want to comment on that thing, to be honest. I mean, it, it, do you want to... Um, uh, I'm not. I'm not quite sure how to take that. Take that. Take that point further. Really, um, I, I, I'm. I'm hoping that that's been reasonably clear from what I've. From what I've said, is there is there something particular that you want me to s- explore on that point, Sydney?
1: No, no. I just wanted to make sure that sort of. I was going to leave our readers or our listeners, sorry, with that, and I wanted to make sure that you were okay with leaving them at that as the summary point of like sort of what of a way to think about about the insights from the book of the interview so i think I'll just,
2: yeah, i think ahead. what i'd like to stress and, and and apologies if this um um if if you were going to come to this but i think about, about i think what, what i would like to stress is that overall the argument that we make is not that water or climate change are not important we that's an, or or that they don't have conflict and security and insecurity implications. That's not our argument. Our argument rather is that uh, the the the, the Malthusian eco-determinist thinking um, uh, is it provide is, is not the right place to start if one uh, really wants to understand them, or provides only only a, only, a, only a little part of the part of the picture. And maybe this is a way of answering the question about capitalism and the. And and, and the state system, because what we show through the book is that actually water has been in lots and lots of ways hugely important politically and for 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 livelihoods and for forms of forms of suffering. So um, so we examine uh, uh, displacements through dam building, something which doesn't figure within uh, 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 eco determinist reasoning really, really at all. We examine uh, the ways in which um, uh, the pr- processes of sort of uh, water and land grabbing within what we call frontier regions of each of our, a number of our divided environments and the way in which those processes of internal colonization of, of land often focused and often targeted on the water resources have led to uh, displacements and conflict and, 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 and violence. Um, so, so, I mean, just with those two examples, hopefully, um, hopefully that gives some, some indication of how we, we, we don't see water, uh, water as, uh, as, as something which is politically inconsequential. Quite the contrary, we think that it needs understanding in a slightly different way. And the implication of that for climate change is that actually with the conf- we, we do think there are important conflict implications of climate change, but we think these will only partly be to do with, frankly, changes in the weather. Um, we, we consider just as important, if not more important, as likely to be the, the, the political and conflict implications of adaptation projects, of processes of, 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 of mitigation, of uh, uh, changing forms of politics and identity and possibly racial uh, new forms of racialization, um, which are uh, which are, we think are likely to emerge and to some extent are already emerging uh, in relation to, to, to climate change. So I, what we try to give is a, is a slightly different account of, of, of how we think climate change uh, matters politically and in terms of conflict, one which doesn't foreground changes to weather and questions of drought and changing water availability, that type of thing, nearly as much as most accounts do. Um, and 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 I guess the link there to 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 capitalism and the, the the state system is that how those things play out. We see as I mean we, we see the question questions of uh, uh, the 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 nature of contemporary capitalism, how it's trans trans how uh, how it might be transformed. Um, uh, state state projects, state interests, as crucial to. Um, Whether and how processes of adaptation, mitigation, uh, uh, identity formation and so on lead to conflict uh, and, and, and
1: insecurities. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for being here. The traditional last question on the New Books Network is, is there a book or an article or something you're reading now, whether it's in your field or for pleasure, that you would like to recommend to our listeners? Um, Or I guess you can just look at your desk and tell me what it is that you're reading.
2: What am I reading?
1: Okay. Yes.
2: What am I reading? What I'm reading at the moment is um, On Barak's book, "Powering Empire: How Coal Made made the Middle East and Sparked Global Carbonization," um, which is a really, really, really terrific book um uh, very very thought provoking um centers coal within the history within the especially 19th century uh, history of the making of um of, of the of of the middle east uh, uh by 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 britain in particular 19th and early 20th century um so centers coal instead of oil and has a very very rich and interesting account of um of of the of frankly um, energy transitions, um, and of the way in which um, the the introduction of coal into the um, into the into the Middle East's um, political economy also involved changes in the use of animals, in water, and all and land, and all kinds of other things. Um, so I, um, I haven't read it all yet, but it's, it's absolutely fascinating.
1: Awesome. And then finally, is there, I will put a link in this book to any place you tell me to, to recommend this, but do you have a favorite bookshop that you'd like to recommend people get the book from? Oh, do I have a favorite bookshop? You don't um, have to, not everyone does. I just give you a chance. <laughs> uh uh,
2: I, I, I will, uh, I, I will, I will pass on that one. I'm afraid.
1: All right. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Well, just to put it into the record, uh, Professor Selby is a, is an acting professor of politics and international relations at the University of Sheffield. Um, he wrote his PhD in sociology at Lancaster in 2002. He's been working for about 20 years on all the types of things that we've talked about today. Um, he's an excellent scholar, and we're really happy to have had him. So thank you for coming on.
2: Thank you very much, Sydney.